Oh yeah. It's the summer. And it's time for summer reruns. Yeah, you thought reruns were gone, didn't you? And they're back. They are back on the Unified CXM Experience. I'm your host, Grad Khan, CXO or Chief Experience Officer at Sprinkler. And I'm gonna do my very first rerun here. I'm very excited about this, actually. So on July 13th, I had a chance to talk to Georgina Wilczek, who, by the way, has one of the greatest accents I have ever run into. Man, fantastic voice. I could just listen to her talk all day long. Anyway, so Georgina and I had a really interesting conversation as part of the CX Network Contact Centers 2021 event. I talk a lot about where contact centers are going, where customer care is going. Of course, talked a lot about Sprinkler and how the unified platform for customer-facing functions is particularly well-suited to customer care because we can gather all the feedback that people are generating out there, sort it, turn it into a profile, allow the company to collaborate productively around it, and then engage and solve the problems that people have. And it's not always a problem in customer care. Sometimes it's, I want to amplify someone who's having a joyous experience. Sometimes I want to answer a question that someone may have. And sometimes I'm going to solve an actual problem that may be occurring. So that's what Georgina and I talked about. We had a great discussion. Um, some, some new deck visuals. So if you've not had a chance to see those yet, you can check that out. We'll provide a link to the actual video event at the end of this podcast so you can check it out there's a awesome video of a bear chasing a bicyclist and i won't tell you how it ends but let's just say the bear looks very satisfied so uh, no further ado here we are cx network contact centers 2021 rerun A warm welcome, Grad. It's brilliant uh, that you're able to join us today. And uh, basically, the, the title of this session is The Contact Centre Revolution. So first of all, I'd, I'd like to take this opportunity to ask you if you can unpack that a little bit and explain to the audience what we're going to be covering over these next minutes. Okay, great. Thanks. Thanks, Georgina. And it's great to be here. Yeah, so the I actually think we're in the midst of a massive, massive revolution in contact centers. And this is not just me saying this. Uh, this is what we're hearing from our customers. And at Sprinkler, we work with the world's largest corporations. About half the uh, Fortune uh, 1000 works with us and 91 of the top 100 brands. So we've got a pretty good sample set. And what they're saying is that two things have happened. One is that customer expectations have changed and they were already changing, but the last year and a half with the pandemic has forced even a greater acceleration. And now people really want to interact with companies via messaging and asynchronous types of communication. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, the second thing is that a lot of agents are now at home. And so things like VoIP that weren't really possible when we had large concentrated contact centers are now possible. But because agents are at home, the requirement for simplicity in their interface has gone way up. And what we're hearing is people are looking for a single screen not multiple linked windows. And that from that single screen, they want the agent to be able to do voice, email, and everything else. That's actually got some challenges and some opportunities. The opportunity is that VoIP, which isn't really possible in a multi-agent setting, suddenly becomes possible in an agent at home setting. The challenge is that agents at home need 
a much less complex IT setup. And so they've got to have a single screen that allows them to communicate across multiple channels. So they've got to be able to have email, voice, WhatsApp, messaging, you know, DMs on Twitter. All that has to be in one single interface and ideally with a single view of the customer already. And so these two forces are causing a massive rethink and revolution in contact centers. And if you think about it, some of the technology in contact centers is pretty old. It's some of our, some of the oldest IT and companies exist in these places. So the revolution is that we're going to have to do away with the old green screens and some of the old systems and really rethink the way we're doing everything. So it's a pretty exciting time, but you know, you don't always want to live in interesting times. And this is definitely one of those. From what you're saying, uh, it's also the fact that people are now increasingly operating from home, which is helping to drive that revolution. So do you think that's something which is going to continue now that people talk about getting back to the new normal? So I don't know what new normal really looks like, but I know it's not necessarily everyone in the office again. And I do think there's something that companies are saying, hmm, it's an interesting opportunity here to downsize. You know, agents can maybe come in and do some training in the office, but it's, it's, we can actually probably attract people more easily from different places. We don't have to just get people that live in a certain region to work with us. So I actually suspect that particularly in contact centers, uh, this distributed nature of the work is going to continue and accelerate. So AI can obviously be very useful. Um, and, and that's great. There's, there's a lot of scaremongering in the background about AI being the robots are taking over and you can tell the difference between what is AI and what is a real person. Is that something that you're beginning to close the gap on now? What would your advice to contact centre professionals be who are maybe looking to integrate more AI into the systems that right. they're using than they have currently? Well, the, I personally, I salute our robot overlords. And uh, <laughs> welcome there, uh, just in case they're listening. Uh, no, I, I'm just. <laughs> I I think I think AI is is widely misinterpreted, and I I actually blame Hollywood for that. In the 1970s, there were a lot of films, like Westworld would be a good example, the original Yul Brenner version, uh, where people, you know, robots were just coming into existence, right? And people in Hollywood immediately extrapolated the robots to, you know, aha, they're going to replace human beings, and we're not going to be able to tell them apart. Well, in fact, what robots actually did is they started building cars, and they paint cars. And if you look at the way robots are very prevalent in our society right now. It's almost, I've got a robot vacuum cleaner for gosh sake. I, and I hope if it's listening, it better be working right now. Okay. So, but you know, there's, <laughs> but they're not really replacing humans. They've become quite helpful, but robots are, we're in no danger of being replaced by robots. Okay. So now it's AI. AI is the next big scare. The fact is AI is not, not there's nothing in AI that's going to replace a human. It's an uh, aid to humans. So uh, think of, I'll give you a couple quick examples. So um, I, when I was at Microsoft, I was chief marketing officer for Microsoft US for many years, and we were one of Sprinkler's early customers. Uh, we had a, quite a challenge in, being, in doing keyword searches on all these different modern channels, and we were listening to about uh, 125 million mentions a year. So we had a reasonable volume. And if you think about the type of products that Microsoft has, we would use product names that were pretty common words, like Surface, Windows, office and my favorite of course <laughs> word right those are it was really hard <laughs> to be able to separate those now, there's some products it's super easy like kleenex it's easy and stuff like that but but those were really hard so we turned to sprinkler and we said you know we need to be able to tell the difference between someone who's saying i need to clean the windows on of my office which we were picking up and i need to clean 
office off my windows. The first one had nothing to do with us. The second one had everything to do with us. And then we would definitely want to talk to that person. And so, so the sprinkler was the, the early AI all sort of started working on that and it became incredibly helpful. So this first function of AI is to sort and the sorting function is extremely helpful. And what we find is when, as we started pushing AI into um, our customer experience centers and different places where people were doing a lot of this response, we would be able to double the productivity of community managers almost instantaneously because they were spending so much time just simply sorting through messages. Now, again, that's not replacing anybody. That's actually making people more effective because I have not yet run into a company where they're saying, I'm easily getting back to everybody who wants to talk to me across every modern channel and on every review site and every forum. Nobody's got 100% coverage. And so you've got to get your team to be able to cover more. The second thing is that uh, AI can be super helpful, and especially with newer agents and helping agents leverage each other's expertise. And so one of the things that we do is that we look at the answers that are well responded to by customers, uh, and we essentially surface those to everybody in the agent community for that company. So we're using the AI to help the best responses from the best agents be available and visible to all agents, and so all agents can leverage that. And what we find is there's a virtuous cycle of, yeah, that is a good response, Boy, it would be a bit better if I added this. And then that becomes a slightly better response. And so over time, you sort of ratchet up the hill. Um, I would say that uh, the other thing that people talk about is not AI, but it's bots. And bots will use AI to uh, have conversations. And as long as you identify it as a bot, bots can be super helpful. So like, uh, if I just want to know the park times at Walt Disney World, I don't really need to talk to an agent. I just need someone to tell me what the park times are. And I might have some queries about when will the fireworks be and which park is open later and that kind of stuff. And a bot can easily handle that. And as long as it's telling me that it's a bot, I'm totally fine with it. And it's super responsive and I can get to it quickly. My favorite example and this will blow your mind. I think you'll like this. Uh, so on Xbox, um, there is a uh, sort of a protocol when people call in. And people will call in on Xbox, and they'll say they'll have a problem with the product. Like, oh, disk isn't ejecting, or the controllers aren't connecting, or the screen is blank, that kind of stuff. And the uh, agents were trained for many years to ask this simple question as the first question. And the simple question was, and so if you can guess it, actually, what do you think the agents were trained to ask as the first simple question? Have you tried turning it off and back on again? <laughs> very, very close, but it was actually the half of that. Have you turned it on? Oh, okay. wow. Have you turned it on? <laughs> okay. And, 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 and a percentage of the time people would say, oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> what percentage of the time do you think people would say, ooh, I should have turned it on? Guess. Oh, good gracious. I would think probably higher than that i would like to think i don't know let's let's yeah, go and say 10 10 percent that's a pretty good guess it's 30 percent of the time okay wow three zero that's phenomenal. Okay. yes i know <laughs> and so and it's one of those things where everybody is losing in that scenario because the agent is like a third of their day is spent telling people to turn their xbox on okay it's very unrewarding work and for the customer, they've maybe waited who knows how long. Sometimes it could be a long time, right? They may mm. wait a half an hour to be told to turn the thing on. So you call in now, a bot immediately intercepts you, and he goes, before we talk, connect you with an agent, could you please check to make sure your Xbox is on? <laughs> oh, 
oh, geez, never mind. And then they hang up and then the agent is happier because they're not getting these silly, ridiculous uh, questions from people. And the customer's happier because they instantaneously get a helpful tip that helps them solve their problem and get, get gaming as quickly as they can. So so that's that for me is an example where this stuff is just super helpful. I've actually yet to see any scenario where AI has done taken any jobs away. All I'm seeing, especially in our field, is it making the agents happier, making them more productive, and getting more coverage. And ultimately, companies have got to get to a program where they're getting to 100% coverage. One of the only companies I've seen on the planet who's committed to 100% coverage is L'Oreal. So L'Oreal is saying we were, we will respond to 100% of the comments made about us anywhere. They've got work to do to get there, obviously, but it's a beautiful, ambitious goal. And they're you know increasing the number of seats that they have. They use Sprinkler for this, but increasing the number of the seats they have. But they have thousands of seats, and their idea is to turn their whole company into a response mechanism to all the consumers that are out there. But in order to do that, they're going to have to use AI and lots of other tools because at some point they won't have enough employees to do everything the old-fashioned way. And so that's how that's how all this stuff helps. It's phenomenal uh, the scale that you can you can get to using this kind of method. Uh, so so that's mm. great. Um, just going back to the graph that you're showing as well at the moment on the screen about how um, the younger generations are turning towards messaging. I mean, if we have a look there, I think messaging is is the one key factor that everybody is beginning to to kind of hone in on. Um, you've always got your mobile with you, haven't you? So it's a very easy me mechanism by which to get in touch that's with right. the contact center. And, and start the ball rolling. Um, and, and from what you're saying then, your recommendation would be that uh, not to artificially move or try to migrate an inquirer across from whichever channel they come right. in on. So if they right. come to you on messaging, you want to keep them on messaging uh, to try to get their entire query resolved if you possibly can do without flipping them elsewhere. Is, is that how you're thinking about it? That is exactly how I'm thinking about it. And if someone walks into your store, you don't tell them to go to the next store, right? If somebody mm -hmm. uh, walks into you, you just like you don't you don't force people into an interaction that's uncomfortable for them. If they've they've approached you a certain way, you should uh, you know, you don't have to. I mean, you do whatever you want to do. You can go tell them to send a carrier pigeon. By the way, I actually once did a carrier pigeon campaign. I was trying to get senior executives to respond to a program. And so I sent carrier pigeons and said, if you want to see this presentation, put this note in their leg and then send it back to us. And 70% of the carrier pigeons were returned. And I can only assume the other 30% were like, you know, I don't know. What do you think happened? I don't know. I don't know dinner i don't know what happened to them but 70 percent came back uh anyway but you you could say that i mean you could you could say anything you want as an organization i mean there's, there's no rule but if you're really going to be customer centric don't you want to do the thing the customer is you know on the place that they're in like don't you want to be where your customers are and i would say that you know when people sort of challenge me on this and say, well, we want to do it this way, we want to do it that way, uh, my response is always the same, which is that's completely your prerogative. You can do whatever you want. I think that's fine. You can do whatever you want. But be aware of the fact that somebody else, very likely a competitor, won't do that. And mm -hmm. when they become more responsive to people in the places that the people are, 
uh, people will prefer to work with them. I mean, this is a simple example, but I, I had a car dealership. I have a Ford Mustang, and I car, and which is a great car, but it needs to go in for maintenance on a regular basis, potentially because of the way I drive it. It's a possibility. I'm, I'll, I'll entertain that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, this dealership would only call me if I brought it in for service. And you know, take it in for service, and they're always finding new things. But they would only call me on the phone. And that's almost impossible for me to answer calls. I'm on something like this, or I'm in some sort of meeting all day long. Now, I can handle a text, and I can authorize things and stuff like that, but I can't just pick up the phone randomly. I'm in meetings. And so mm. days would go by of me not being able to get intercept these things and get the car done. And so I said to them, could you please text me? And they said, we don't have that capability. So I found a dealership that did, and I switched dealerships. And I mean, because the communication preference is becoming part of the way people live their lives. And if you as a business don't want to honor that, again, that dealership, is that's their prerogative not to use text. But they missed out on thousands of dollars of service for my Mustang that they would have had otherwise because they were too stubborn to put texting in. I wasn't asking for anything super bizarre like carrier pigeons. I was saying texting, right? And so, and so that that to me is like always that those those sort of examples to me are emblematic of you know businesses have to make a Copernican shift in terms of how they look look at the world. So you know who Copernicus was, right? He was you know invented the idea or created the idea that the Earth is the center of the, the Earth is not the center of the universe. The Sun was the center of the solar system. And so Copernicus's invention uh, was he challenged the long-held belief that, you know, the Earth was the center of the universe. And, it, you know, observationally, if you stand in the field for a few days, I'd encourage you to try this sometime. You and I could do it together maybe sometime. Um, you know, it does appear that the Earth is the center, right? Like you stand in the field. It doesn't seem to be moving. It's flat. And then the sun comes up over there and it goes down over there. And the sun comes up over there the next day and goes down over there the next day. Seems fine, right? Like that sort of seems like the sun's going around in a circle around a flat plate. Um, but when you obviously try to do the calculations and try to understand the movement of the stars and you try to calculate when Easter's going to occur and equinoxes and retrograde motion of Mars and all that kind of stuff, none of it makes sense in that heliocentric universe. And so basically Copernican said, maybe the sun is the center of the universe and we're going around it. So that, that Copernican shift is, I think, the same thing that companies need to do, which is most people sit in this universe where their products and their world is the center of their universe, and that's all the way they think about it. And they think, these are the channels I want to use, and this is the way I want to be. But you know, what if you think about it as your customer is the center of the universe, and you need to orbit around the customer's preferences and the customer's desires and the customer's needs? You operate in a very different way suddenly, and you stop thinking about what you like and start thinking about what your customers need. You can see that, you know, CEOs and others, we did a survey with Forrester of more than 300 companies, and the, everyone is like 83% are saying this is a super high priority, um, but everyone is we're not where we need to be. And so that's why I think the, the revolution is happening. And I would suggest that context centers are the pointy end of the spear to sort of make this revolution in customer experience happen because it's your customers who are calling contact centers. It's your your best customers often because they care enough to call and your highest priority prospects for the next sale are calling your contact centers. And too often people think about contact centers in this sort of separated version of the world. I mean, I would suggest that contact centers are your most important marketing tool. And so optimizing the performance of the contact center is the most important thing you can do as a business.
Yeah, that's excellent advice. I mean, um, a lot of people have been inquiring, and particularly with connection to this event, as they're all getting going now. We're coming out of the back of the pandemic. A lot of people have made perhaps rushed decisions in order to keep the contact centre going over this last year while it, we've had such extraordinary circumstances and people have been accessing from home and perhaps they've mm. moved some elements already up into the cloud and digital, but they're not sure that what they've picked is exactly right for them going forward in the long term. Um, if they have to now get backing from top management to, uh, you know, change the way in which their contact centre is functioning, what would your top recommendations be then in terms of what they need to be focusing on? Well, I would say they should buy a sprinkler. <laughs> okay, I'll expand on that a little bit. Uh, so, um, I, so a good, a, a powerful presentation to top management, what I think would have three components in it. Uh, one would be going back to my original comments sort of half an hour ago. I think you've got to update management on the fact that your customers are in new channels. And uh, I would do a, a listening survey first to show management where mentions of your products are, are occurring across forums and blogs and all the social platforms and all the messaging platforms. Uh, that I think is very helpful because management generally will understand the concept of being where your customers are. Um, the second thing is I think you need to have a, a pretty frank discussion about where your talent is going to come from. Uh, the one thing that's kind of a very interesting outcome of the pandemic is that uh, it feels like people have disappeared. I don't know what happened, but it's like people are having a really hard time hiring. Uh, and I, I don't know if people dropped out or there's been this dislocation has caused a major labor shortage. So the, the competition for talent is going to be really high, particularly in contact centers. And there's always traditionally been a lot of turnover and it's been hard to find great people. So you're going to need to be an amazing experience for the agent. You want to have that agent in a seamless environment where it's easy to use you want to be able to offer perks and benefits like being able to work from home and you want to be able to you know, help them do ultimately what I think all great contact center agents want, which is they want to be able to help customers. They want to be put in a situation where when someone calls and they're frustrated, they can resolve the issue. I think there's a, if there's an innate human need to want to help other people and particularly people go into this industry, they, they really like that. And if you can make that easier for them to do, they will, they will love that job and they'll stay in that job. So number one, management needs to know that customers have changed where they are. Number two, they need to know we're in a, a massive talent uh, competition and we need to over deliver there. And then number three, and, and, and this is where, you know, it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit more uh, strategic is that, I think you need to quantify the impact of customer experience on the revenue of the business. Uh, and then and make the linkage I made a few minutes ago, which is, you know, customer experience in, you know, there's many studies now showing that a one or two point improvement in customer experience can deliver hundreds of millions of dollars in value to the bottom line of a company. It's a really good study by Forrester on this, actually. Uh, so go to management and say, you know, we want to take our customer experience score up by three points. And we believe that will deliver a new bottom line total of $300 million. And our most strategic investment to do that is the contact center. 
to do that well in the contact center, we have to have great technology that makes agents love working there so that they can make customers happier on the channels on which they prefer to be on. I think that's a reasonably compelling argument. And uh, it sort of goes, If you, I used to work at Procter & Gamble early part of my career, and you always make a recommendation based on, is it on strategy? That's your CX point. Um, is it proven? You know, that, that talks to... Um, uh, that talks to sort of like the, where the customers are and then is it cost effective and that talks to agent retention and talent, talent competition. Those are some really good tips for anyone who's who's looking to, to change things up over the next year. So and thank you very much for that. Well, Georgina, free <laughs> tips. Look at that. The value Indeed. people are getting. So messaging is exploding, you were saying. And um, in short, uh, it would seem actually I, when I looked at this grid, the thing I was really struck by is that North America and Europe are catching up with Asia Pacific, who's already been mes messaging presumably for quite some time. They got into the habit yeah, of it now. But we're true. really seeing this taking off, aren't we? Yeah, and I mean, and APAC has always been a bit ahead because they sort of skipped over some of the infrastructure that was built in the, especially North America. But you know, it's it's messaging is going to is becoming a dominant form because it can be done asynchronously. And it was so funny because, like, I I've been saying asynchronous and synchronous communication for a really long time, and I know I'm like mm -hmm. a sort of. Um, I think slightly nerdy and slightly geeky. My girlfriend would say very nerdy and incredibly geeky. But whatever, wherever we want to land on that spectrum, um, it's always been sort of like people kind of looked at me weirdly. What's been interesting with the pandemic is this concept of asynchronous communication has become part of the education lingo. And so my nine-year-old niece the other day said, oh, yeah, I'm doing an async class tonight. And I said, really? You, did you just say async? And she goes, yeah. And I said, you meaning like you're not talking to the teacher live, you're just doing it on your own? She goes, yeah. And they're calling it async all over the place. So, so I think that people are starting to kind of cotton on to this idea of there's a two types of communication. One, I'm connected to you live like I am right now with you, or I'm having communication with you iteratively over potentially a very long period of time. And that, that move to iterative asynchronous communication is a very fundamental shift in the way that humans operate, and companies have to adjust to that. Yeah, so looking at the next slide as well, just uh, if you want to talk us through this one, customers are connected and impatient. Yeah, so, you know, the like for me, one of the things that is, um, um, you know, challenging, I guess, is that you know, we have a tendency to, to not take seriously some of this stuff, right? You know, one of my favorite stats is that, you know, 95% of people will share a bad experience. And, and one, one thing I always try to tell people is remember that everyone's networked now. So when they're sharing a bad experience, maybe they shared a bad experience in the 1970s, they would do it over a backyard fence, right? And it would, no big deal. Um, when they share a bad experience now, they're sharing it on a massive global network that can reach everybody. So uh, try not to deliver bad experiences anymore. Um, people are reading reviews. They're, they're looking at that. I mean, people read reviews for everything. Uh, they even like, when I'm buying like paper towels, I read the reviews because I want to make sure that the quantity that they mention is the way it's been shipped. And sometimes people will say, they say it's 12. They don't mean 12. They mean a gross, you know, I've got a garage full of paper towels now. Like, so it's like, you have to, you sort of be thoughtful about this. And, and so on. And I think the, the other stat, which I sort of like always like to kind of just point people towards is that 75% one in the top right hand corner, which is, you know, there's um, this idea, I think, again, companies are still like, hey, you got to come to me where I want you. But what's happening is customers are posting 
where they are. Like they're posting things on Twitter or they're posting things or wherever. And they expect a reply to those posts within five minutes. Like I don't, how many companies are literally getting back to people within five minutes from a random post on Twitter? Like it's rare. It's not, impo- it's not, it's not zero. Like there are definitely, we have customers who are doing this, but it is not the common motion. And, but that is the expectation. And there's a really good Harvard business review study showing that when you actually do do that, you generate not only greater loyalty, but a higher will, a willingness to pay more money for the product. Because people are, mm. they want to work with companies that will respond to them and be responsive on the channels that they operate on because that's a you know, higher level of service and connection. And then that product's worth more in that context. Uh, in fact, even in the first hour, you're still going to get a bump. But, but after an hour, it, you're essentially, not, you're getting back to people still important. But after an hour, you've lost that edge of, oh, we pay more for this product because they're so responsive. That's incredibly high expectations, isn't it? And something really for us all to to be aware of. Well, it's certainly higher than traditionally when we've all been maybe used to hanging on the phone forever to try to get through. I mean, it's great that people really want that. If you walked into Harrods and you went to the (laughs) – just stay with me for a second. You walked into Harrods and you went to the – what would you tend to buy at Harrods? I mean, what would you – or Selfridges. Let's go to Selfridges. You walk to Selfridges and you go to the watch counter, Okay. How long do you think it would be appropriate for you to stand at the watch counter waiting? Yeah, like, I, I get your point. You really, how <laughs> would you react if you had to stand at the watch counter for five minutes before a salesperson came and helped you? It would be weird, right? Mm. And that's all it is. And that, I mean, that, the fact that people do think that this is like, oh, boy, there are people have a, lot, a lot of expectations. No, they don't. They just like they we've trained people to walk into a store and be served immediately. So why can't they be served on anywhere else immediately? That's just the expectation. And the other thing is, remember that expectations are set in other industries. Right. So um, how when you use Uber, right, Um, Uber, how long do you expect to wait for an Uber? Well, how long they tell you. Right? They say it'll be here in three minutes or be here in seven minutes or be here in 10 minutes or whatever it is. And you're like, I'm totally cool with that because I know how long it's going to take. And they show you exactly where your little car is and as it's coming along. Well, that now is the new standard for all industries. Not, not, you don't think of it as just ride hailing. You think of it as like, well, that's how I want to know where my pizza is. And that's why I want to know where my hair dryer is. And that's where I want to know where my jewelry is. Like, why, why can't everyone tell me how long it's going to be? And why isn't everyone getting back to me right away? So we, are, we have revised, radically revised consumer expectations in enough categories now that those are now the expectations everywhere. Fantastic. Uh, we are very nearly out of time. However, there no. is a question that uh, I'd like oh. you to try to address if you can before we go. So see how I hope it's a zinger. I hope it's a really tough one. <laughs> well, uh, it says you haven't mentioned CRM. <laughs> Where does CRM continue to fit in the approach to supporting our agents to help customers? Right. So this is a super interesting question. It's a great question, by the way. Uh, and the, um, the answer is 42. The answer is 42. <laughs> no, you don't get that? Mm. I get okay. that, yeah. Right. Do you get that? Okay, all right. Well, maybe we can be friends. Okay, so um, so the actual answer. So there's actually so there's actually two systems that people need these days. So there are, there's the traditional CRM system, which contains the transactional data uh, from your customers, and it's a relational database. There are 
many excellent CRM systems out there like Salesforce, Microsoft Dynamics, NetSuite, a whole bunch of them out there. Um, that doesn't go away. CRM you know, has to be there. But uh, what we're finding is that the really interesting data is the experience data. These are the things that people are saying about you online. And they're saying it, remember, in lots of different ways. They're using emojis. They're using memes. They're using pictures. They're using videos. They're, like It's not stuff that neatly fits into a relational database in a CRM system. So what companies are doing is they're building a CXM database, Customer Experience Management Database, CXM database. It's CXM plus CRM. That is the sort of the new CDP. Some people are calling it CXDP, uh, but there's this sort of new CDP, which takes the transactional data and the experience data, puts it as a single 360-degree profile. And now as an agent, I can not only know what you purchased, but I can also know what you said about the company or what reactions you had or what things you did on the website and all that kind of stuff. It's that combination of experience and transactions. It's, it's critical, and that's an excellent question. It's fantastic. Thank you very much. It's a great answer as well in a fairly swift amount of time that we have left. But uh, much appreciated, Grad. And uh, thank you, the audience. I hope that you found uh, Grad's tips useful. And it is interesting to hear about all the, the changes that we're all dealing with in the contact centre. There's uh, so many different factors which are making everybody move towards digital and towards all these different types and ways in which uh, they can get in touch. So uh, definitely something that we all have to be paying a lot more attention to moving forward. But uh, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for all of uh, the slides that you put together as well, Grab. Much appreciated. And that's a wrap. CX Network Contact Centers 2021. I want to thank Georgina Wilchuk. She was an amazing host, an amazing interviewer. We had a lot of fun together. And I also say the prep times and the prep before the session was great as well. It was really easy to work with. And it just was a joy from beginning to end. And that is all for today. So for the Unified CXM Experience, I am Grad Khan, CXO or Chief Experience Officer at Sprinkler, New York's stock exchange listed company, ticker symbol CXM. And I will see you next time.